0: Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin! Hello and welcome to episode 51 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air on this Tuesday, January 14th, 2020. It's come upon us, and yes, I am finally talking about the rise of Skywalker. I am coming to you live to air from, well, today was very overcast... Kind of cool. I won't say cold suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, but you know, my to my friends out in the prairies, if you're listening, stay inside, keep warm. Uh, I'm not going to claim that it's cold here in Ontario. Finally, talking about the rise of Skywalker, and the reason I took so long is, is because I didn't really know what I thought, and what I felt. I also had other things going on, and, and I just didn't didn't want to get couldn't get down to recording or commenting but my overall feeling about this film is both satisfied and disappointed at the same time. so I'll just say I won't be doing a, a review review just like with the last Jedi. if you want a review review uh, you can find that plenty of other places. Um, online, all over the place. I'm specifically doing my prequelist review like I did with The Last Jedi. Uh, I'm not joined by R2, unfortunately. He's still serving as a bookend, but I do have my bottle of water and sitting here on this nice comfy couch going to talk about The Rise of Skywalker and the prequel trilogy. And that's part of why both satisfied and disappointed. Uh, my initial feeling and maybe I was imposing this but my initial feeling was that J.J. J. Abrams didn't care much for the prequels uh, didn't really take seriously the story that George was setting up and as it pertains to the Star Wars saga overall the Skywalker saga overall and that's borne out in the kind of surfacey nostalgia moments right at the beginning with Poe's, uh, I guess, hyperspace jumping of all the planets he goes to, goes to, goes to Bespin and goes to some other places, but uh, doesn't go any prequel planets. And then uh, at the end with the the Neb celebration again, goes to Bespin again, goes to Endor, should have gone to Naboo, should have gone to Coruscant or something a nice reference to, it is a reference to, in of the Jedi, what the scene we got there. The bigger issue I would have had is, George sets up this focus on Anakin, and in the prequels, really brings that out. It changes the way we read the, we read the original trilogy, right, as Anakin's, uh, final sacrifice to bring balance to the force bringing Darth Sidious back bringing that conflict still around brings the question (laughs) did Anakin Skywalker actually bring balance to the force we don't know another little nitpick I had and then I'm just gonna finish that I guess I have James Luceno's uh, James Luceno's uh, Darth Plagueis novel still in my head. So whenever... Uh, and I, Maybe I mentioned this before. I, I have a real thing about calling him Palpatine and the Emperor. Whenever someone named Kylo Ren, who everyone thinks is Ben Solo, he thinks he's Kylo Ren, he wouldn't call him Palpatine. He'd call him Darth Sidious. Um, and he wouldn't call it the Emperor. He would doesn't care about... Darth Sidious doesn't really care about the Empire. He cares about the Sith. And so, as a true, calling Rey, So, definitely spoilers, by the way. I mean, it's been a week, a few weeks out now. But, uh, put that out there now. He says to Ray take your throne as the Empress. I just hear, I translate in my head. Take your throne as the Dark Lord of the Sith. Is really what he's saying there. When Kylo Ren says, oh, it's Palpatine what I hear in my head, just kind of universal translator, no, he's saying Darth Sidious, just like Luke did in Last Jedi. And that's where I was disappointed in that um, Last Jedi, well, one of the reasons I was disappointed is Last Jedi is so rich in meta hitting on the saga as a whole and asking questions of it and asking questions of our reception of it. That it feels like often that JJ just goes back and says, No, I'm gonna enjoy this fun, rippering adventure of Luke Skywalker, basically. And, and that's how I felt the first few viewings. I've been able to come back into it. You know, I've seen it four times now, I'm gonna see it a fifth soon, and maybe a sixth soon. <laughs> um, only. I mean, that's. By this point, I'd seen Last Jedi probably six, seven times. Now, being able to come back and see more things, more story beats, appreciate the story for what it is, do more theological reflection on it, that uh, I don't know if I'm going to put that in a podcast. I started writing something about that. So, watch this space. And, okay, so the question of Anakin being the chosen one to bring balance to the Force is still up in the air. The question of what was the victory at Endor similarly still up in the air when there's this victory in Exegol. I um, think one of the consensus is with both Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, that J.J. just doesn't do social political context. And so that's one of the concerns is that, thinking about Star Wars, is that at its best, it touches on the personal, the sociopolitical, and the cosmic all at the same time. Right? You look at any good Star Wars, I mean, I'll point to the best Star Wars moment here, right, is my favorite Star Wars moment, Obi-Wan and Anakin on Mustafar, which I will get to Mustafar. (laughs) Don't worry. Um, it, Mustafar in Rise of Skywalker in both places. Obi-Wan and Anakin, you know, it's the interpersonal relationship between the two. It's Anakin's frustrations with the Jedi Council and their involvement of the Clone Wars and uh, the way he perceives them to be opposing the peace. And then it's about this cosmic dark versus light um, Jedi versus Sith, or the Jedi fall into the dark side. Mr. Anakin's response is to uh, use the dark side, or you know, and, and just giving in to Darth Sidious' plan. Anyways, funny story. I'm still calling him Anakin. He's Darth Vader at that point, but <laughs> don't at me. Um, so, Rise of Skywalker, its strongest. It is, I, I and now I'm able to appreciate that it is strong, on the personal, especially Ray Finn, and Poe, those three, and, and Ray Ray and Ben. There, there's I'm sold on that now, a little bit more Ray and Leia. Just everything to do with Ray. And on this cosmic thing of the Sith ruling the galaxy again, uh, again, terminology notwithstanding. Yeah, I guess this is a bit of a review, <laughs> it turns out. Just a little bit. Um, the strength of the sequel trilogy is that its main character is also its most compelling character. I don't think you could say that about the original trilogy, quite frankly. I don't think... I don't find Luke Skywalker to mean most, be the most compelling character. I find, uh, I find Leia to be the most compelling character of the original trilogy given what she has to go through. But we really do see Ray's struggle and Ray choosing the light and overcoming the darkness and, and including in this film embracing her heritage but also her destiny. And and then it works on the cosmic. Rise of just getting back to my point, doesn't have much sociopolitical um, we don't know. He promised. Palpatine, Sidious promises, Tyler run an empire. But in Last Jedi, I thought they were overrunning the galaxy, anyways. So that's a bit confusing. But on the personal and the cosmic, it works. So. Uh, that that's my overall review turned into that. So. I'm able to appreciate the film as an adventure. I do like how it's set up as a MacGuffin, and kind of like Last Jedi, where a MacGuffin of uh, Sidious Wayfinder gets destroyed. <laughs> and that'll be important towards the end of this this podcast episode, this prequels to review, because that has to do with the, the most deepest reflection I got to was. The relationship between uh, Kef Beer and Mustafar. And, and that was, that's was that been pointed out before. Right? The duels on Kef Beer and the duel on Mustafar. Alright, so I'll take a swim of the water. And let's dive in. So I'll, I'll go in a bit chronological order, things I noticed. It's episode 1. And and these things are maybe a little sparse and then a little deeper later. Episode 1, there's two things I can think of that are nice little references. A very quick moment, interestingly, the speeder chase on Pasana. There's the shot above that uh, they're going through this canyon. And it looks a lot like the pod racer shot on uh, Beggar's Canyon. I think it's Beggar's Canyon. Where, where, um, oh, what's her name? The one that the uh, Beckett kills, or, or somebody. Forget her name. I just saw the watching through Clone Wars, I just saw I forget her name. Orison, that's who she is. That that shot where they're overlooking, she's overlooking Beggar's Canyon. I think that was a nice little reference there. Um, in the pisana Speeder Chase. And everything the po being rebooted and just just uh and his memory being wiped rather and I would have maybe liked. It would be nice to have a little. Oh, where's Master Anakin or whatever. Interestingly enough, I just saw the Clone Wars episode where, you no, know, that that arc where he then has his memory wiped and there's a bit hints at a history before Anakin. So, um, and the story itself doesn't need it, but it's nice to see three PO. Figuring nice and that it's a, it's a nice reference to episode one and figure him figuring out things anew again, but it it's given a different lens because we know he's been through all this stuff in reality, um, well in the story of the film. So that was a, that was a neat callback, and I mean it's the battle droid in that scene, right? Um, the more profound reference, of course is The Phantom Menace, (laughs) the very title of the film. Leia knows her history. Leia knows how the Clone Wars happened. She understands the intricacies of uh, interstellar commerce and the taxation of trade routes. And she would have known the history that Darth Sidious seeded this conflict from the very beginning, I don't know how many sixty years before this. And and that's how he was able to pull the strings, always pulling the strings. And in my mind I you know, I, I in my mind I, I can see Leia going back to her history books and maybe looking at her birth mother's career and seeing Oh her predecessor, Padme's predecessor on as the senator from Naboo, was already pulling the strings and she's thinking just all the way back to that. And then, of course, through the Clone Wars and all the constitutional changes he brought in to continually accrue power to himself in the name of security to the point where liberty dies with thunderous applause. Of Of course, Darth Sidious is the Phantom Menace And so, again, nice little nod from Leia. So that's what I noticed from from episode one. Nothing too much, but even then starting to hint, okay, maybe on the surface, this is kind of making me feel better about myself, (laughs) about myself. On the surface, J.J. is doing the nostalgia nods to the original trilogy. But when you get to the heart of the story... It actually does begin to tie in and meditate on and reflect and refract back onto the prequel trilogy. Maybe a little more subtly, actually, than Ryan Johnson did. Again, I love the upfront reflection and grappling on Luke's part, especially with what happened with the Jedi in the Republic era. But these story beats are there. And so i got to... I have to give J.J. more credit here. Uh, Got to hand it to him. On these things he did pay attention. Especially when it comes to Sidious. And I wonder if. Ian e. McDermott's performance. Is just so memorable. It's one of the things I point to. Just a bit of an aside. One of the things I point to. If there are any people who are. off oh, the prequels still out there. Who, are, who are, are down on them. Just remember Ian e. McDermott's in those films. And. <laughs> Uh, he is perfect in every moment. So episode two, Attack of the Clones, again, there isn't all that much kind of sparse, but two things I noticed is the Sith trooper design, I and mean, we didn't go into, the film doesn't really go into what the Sith troopers are about, except that we know, uh, it may be similar to the first order they're taken from their families they're not clones, but it's always been clear that the visor that split visor again uh, is a really nice reference to the fact that you they yet again are this this stormtrooper fighting force designed specifically for North cities to retake the galaxy <laughs> right. That, that is a, a nice little nod. They only come in at the end, just like in Attack of the Clones. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking of this now. The Battle of Geonosis has people, has Jedi, especially the, the big three, riding these animals. and That wonderful moment on, on the Star Destroyer where Finn and Janna take the, these horse things and, and go at them. I think he, uh, yes, he learned from Jen. I think he also learned from Rose. There's definitely a, a hint of, uh, you know, the the Kendo bite scene, Kendo bite uh, father scene in there. So yeah, that that little battle there. I just got to say, I love the design of the Sith trooper. Now it's it's really really beautiful. I love red. I mean, a, a, and that's also then a nod. Yes, it's also a nod to. The Imperial Guards, but to me, it's also not to the Coruscant Guards, where I mean they were not all red. They're also white, but red and white. But that whole that arc with Ahsoka being uh, framed and captured, or yeah, being framed and, ca- and captured and mistreated by the Jedi, and, and this false. The bad, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I can speak. The show trial that convinces her that the Jedi are corrupt. That's just a little. I'm gonna think about that when I watch this so, film. Another really nice nod to Attack of the Clones is yes, Ray goes back to the homestead on on Tatooine. She buries when she buries the lightsabers. She's burying them pretty close to where Shmi Skywalker is buried. And remember, that's not just where Luke lived. It's where Shmi lived. And eventually, right? (laughs) By the time of Attack of the Clones. And it's where Obi-Wan takes Luke back to at the end of Revenge of the Sith. There's this Point of Ray really moment of closure there of certainly Ray returning to the origins of the saga. This, this is a bit of an episode one reference too yes. At the beginning of the saga, Shmi and, and Anakin are in Moss Espa. At the beginning of the saga as we've received it, we meet Luke at that homestead. But there is this Closure of it's Anakin's and Luke's and Ray's lightsaber, and then Leia's lightsaber, the whole Skywalker legacy and destiny being put to rest where it began with Shmi. The symbolic resonance there. And then, of course, Luke and Leia uh, come, the force ghosts come. And Raiden takes up that legacy on her for herself. You know, her lineage is Palpatine. But like Shmi, you know, she is a single Skywalker. A Tatooine. So I don't know if J.J. intended that. I know some people at Lucasfilm would see that and recognize that. So that's Attack of the Clones. Um, Revenge of the Sith, where to start? Because there's actually quite a bit. <laughs> right. um, yeah, i just thinking. That final confrontation. Where. Uh, yeah, what's fascinating is Rey is given the exact same choice as Anakin. This may be actually the most explicit, the two most explicit prequel references here are only you have the power to save your friends and the unlimited power moment. So just as he did in Revenge of the Sith, just as he did in Return of the Jedi, Darth Sidious offers these characters, offers Anakin and then Luke and then Rey, The power to make uh, do good in the galaxy. He tempts them at least with this thought. Yeah, you can you can take the power of the Sith, and we've seen it. It's it's powerful, right? You can you know get force lightning and blow up a transport. That's that's pretty threatening commanding all these armies and legions and starships. That's threatening. You say, that's right. You you got your lightsaber out and you can hack and slash and you can make the galaxy what you want. Make the galaxy great again. <laughs> to go there. And to me the 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 closest The way Ian McDermott delivers those lines, especially, yes, is a similar quote in Return of the Jedi, but it makes me very strongly think of you have the power to save your friends is when he he tempts Anakin, you have the power to save the one you love. Save your wife from certain death. Well, especially the power to save the one you love when... He's electrocuting uh, Mace Windu. Yeah. Unlike Anakin, Rey she's tempted, but but Anakin feels alone in that moment, right? <laughs> Even though, uh, well, no, he. I mean, he is kind of alone. It's Luke who has Anakin there to support him. Anakin feels alone and. He believes he doesn't have the support of the Jedi, certainly wouldn't have had the support of the Jedi for the relationship. Rey, on the other hand, and this is this beautiful moment, harkens back to one of the things that gets missed in, medita- in Reflections on the Prequel Trilogy, is that the Jedi were genuinely seeking to be a force for good and defending peace and justice. Right? They were allowed to have compassion and show courage. And especially someone like Qui Gon was aware and sensitive and understood, had discernment on where people were at and what they needed. And so that beautiful moment be with me, be with me. Darth City is saying, I am all the Sith. Whereas Ray saying, you "No, know, well, I'm all the Jedi," and it brings us back to okay. Jedi are actually the protagonists here. There is a legacy, that legacy Luke question. That uh, needs to be restored and remembered. Right? Otherwise, you know, why would they claim? To be on the light side. How did they actually survive. For thousands of years. Yes in part. Through manipulation. And through. Getting cozying up to the Republic. But why why do we even. Look back when we're watching the films. You know. Why is Obi-Wan. Why are Obi-Wan and Yoda trustworthy characters. Right. Ahsoka and Shakti and all these Jedi whose voices we see watch the Clone Wars and we see that they're compassionate, well-meaning, good-doing characters. Right? They were caught in a system, oftentimes beyond their capability of right in. The end. And some of them, like like Mace Windu, you know, kind of just went for it. Although what's interesting with Mace Windu is, this is a bit of a, a theological aside here. What's his voice doing in there? That's strange. Isn't he the purple Jedi, <laughs> Saying uh, he's too dangerous to be kept alive. Well, what if he even came back as he's falling even? As he's saying, oh, what have we done in letting the Sith Lord take power? how have we missed this how we've gotten so close to him in our quest for power and this is, as he's falling from the the uh the chancellor's office i don't know I, i'm just imagining that too there is a christian tradition of people actually converting after death that's a whole other story but yeah it, it's this beautiful reminder that ultimately, it, again, in light versus dark, too much light isn't actually balance. Or too much, sorry, I should say this. Balance isn't found in resisting more light and resisting more darkness. Even though I just saw the Mortis Ark and seems to say that, but that's not what George and, and Dave Filoni ever said. Be with me when she's saying... The Jedi be with me. She's saying, the light be with me. She shines her ray of light. And so, that scene of when Sidious is is continually shooting his uh, forced lightning at, at her to try and stop her. She takes her lightsabers. And she doesn't strike him down the way Darth Vader wanted to eventually. Strike it She doesn't strike him down the way Luke was tempted to do. Nor does she throw away her lightsaber, because right? that's a different circumstance than uh, with Luke on the on the Death Star. She uses she uses the Force for knowledge and defense, and is able then to turn Darth Sidious. Lightning against himself—the very lightning that he he uses to announce, basically to announce the, to the galaxy that he's a Sith Lord who is going to take over, that the Jedi are traitors. Right. The very moment where we see uh, the this is an, the most explicit, another the second most explicit prequel reference to me is you know, where his face. Just gets covered in the lightning, and he continues to age. In this case, he just keeps going, keeps pouring it in, and he ends up aging all the way to death, he disintegrating on his own lightning. Right? That evil always contains within itself the instrument of its own demise. That's the message of the prequel trilogy and the seeds of evil in the Jedi. That's the arrogance of this of the original trilogy, of the Empire in the original trilogy. What's the arrogance of Darth Sidious again in the sequel trilogy? So that that, yeah, very clear reflections on evil and power in that final scene. And that last act. Which brings me back to Mustafar. And Little do we know, I don't know if JJ actually intended this either. But that opening scene where Kylo Ren is finding Darth Vader's Wayfinder, <coughs> that is of course on Mustafar near Darth Vader's temple. He, it's put this poetic thing where you know, Kylo Ren finds his grandfather's Wayfinder, Rey finds her grandfather's Wayfinder. The idea is that the two will come together in the Rule of Two and all that. I mean, that's why there are two Wayfinders, because one's for the Master and one's the Apprentice. So that was a nice little nod. But the real Mustafar reference, and this has been something a lot of people have speculated on, is that Kefbir and the stormy waves lapping on to the ruins of the Death Star, very much a counterpart to the stormy lava and the fiery, embroiled... uh, How would I describe this? Anakin's spirit being embroiled in (laughs) this turmoil of falling to the dark side and trying to gain power to save Padme and whatnot. What's interesting is in The Rise of Skywalker... Is the way this is set up, and then the way it, it we it's set up, and then the way we, it leaves because, yes, Anakin's grandson is there, but the person who's really standing in the place of Anakin is Ray in that moment, in place of Darth Vader, right? Just like Anakin, who his plan, my new empire, his plan is to. Gain power, gain this experience, or take out, destroy Obi Wan, knock off his rival, or or let him let him join him, or who knows what. Uh, save Padme from whatever it is it's coming, and then go and take out the Emperor, take out Darth Sidious. Rey is feeling very similar things. Right, he she has just learned that not only is. Uh, he her, her grandfather that he had her parents killed, and and so he's the reason why she was left alone on Jakku. So all her rage and her hate are coming to the surface, and so she the reason she goes to the Wayfinder. She says it outright, and Finn you know recognizes this. She says it outright that oh, I'm going to go. And I'm going to kill him, I'll find him, and kill him. Taking that revenge, yeah. Clearly, Finn recognizes something's wrong. Something's up. He has a sense of that, not the Jedi way. It's interesting. There's this it, it is an interesting reversal then on Kef Beer in the in, in the very extra throne room, when. Uh, she finds the wayfinder. Kylo Ren comes. And again, in reversal to what happened to Revenge of the Sith, Kylo Ren, Kylo Ren stands in the way of Rey, the way Obi-Wan stood in the way of Anakin. Not for the same reasons, right? <laughs> um, he wants, at that moment, at that moment he he's unsure. Does he want her with him? Does he want her to for her to for him to control her and be his his lackey, his apprentice, whatever. Either way, Ray is there in in both her integrity, because that hasn't gone away. The things we the, the kindness and generosity and friendliness we've seen, willingness to sacrifice and work for others and fight for others that we've seen throughout the sequel trilogy, uh, that's there where this new thing has come up to the surface of, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to find this wayfinder, and I'm going to go kill the person who, who killed my parents. Right? Almost, I'm going to save me from certain death, in a way. What I'm getting at here is, in this funny way, Rey is both Obi-Wan and Anakin. And, you know, at least Obi-Wan's heritage of pursuing truth and with integrity Um, against Kylo Ren. There's that duel still. He's still after her. And, And wants to at least, I mean, maybe he actually wants to kill her. There's probably part of that too. As it, as Darth Sidious asked him, but Ray wants again wants Kylo Ren out of the way, so she can go and, and kill Darth Sidious. Is that part of it too? What we have then is this symbolic duel. The fates are inside of Ray. That's the real struggle of of her life, it's a real struggle of this film that she faces in this film especially, right? That she has the training of the Jedi. She has Leia's upbringing, yeah, even up with Leia. She has Luke's training and the books and all that. But she has this loneliness and this emptiness and this, this rage and this uh, hate and this drive for revenge and ultimately in this fight at least that is for a moment what ends up winning she she ends up killing Ben really she ends up killing Kylo Ren the person of course who calls her back calls them both back is Leia and that, that is a beautiful moment what we see is within Raven then, actually, really an embodiment of the struggle of the Jedi during the Republic. Right, we have the Qui Gon figure, who would have wanted no part in the war, could see it brewing, stood outside the Jedi and said no. Outside the Jedi officialdom, at least, and said. No, we're losing our way. We need to go back to seeking peace and justice. Genuine justice. And you have, on the other hand, uh, Mace Windu, but even Yoda and Obi-Wan. I mean, Yoda spending 20 years on Dagobah, meditating on how he failed. These Jedi generals in the war trying to secure, uh, secure the galaxy and secure themselves. and being so focused on eliminating their threats to their power. What we have ultimately with Rey then is this meditation on the good and evil of power, of the Jedi's power to kill and to raise life. Right, The Jedi... And they're, they're a power in the galaxy politically, spiritually, and tapping into the light side and the dark side. You know, we, you know, they're, um, yeah, that, Jedi are very powerful. And, and Rey doesn't know fully what to do with it, just like Luke. At that moment when she's she kills Kylo Ren, she believes that, oh, this power is going to be evil. And the only thing I can do as someone who has the lineage of Darth Sidious is go and retreat to Octo just like Luke did. And so what does she do? <laughs> she flies straight to Octo and starts to continue the very retreat that Luke did. What. Of course, then she, you know, and, and the last act is the lightsaber, the very symbol of Jedi dignity and honor and the very symbol of the way the Jedi had fallen to the dark side. The very lightsaber, and shout out to my friend Din for pointing this out, the very lightsaber that Anna can use to kill young beings, right? Um, it's also a lightsaber that Luke used to defend people, <laughs> um, and Anakin too. She about, she's about to toss it into the fire. This great symbol of Jedi power, thing that with this crystal that connects to the Force, but so thrown into the into the fire. Luke's Force ghost catches it and says, "This is no way to treat a Jedi weapon. Show a little respect." Respect for the lightsaber. Respect for how hard it was to make the damn thing. More importantly, show respect for the power that the Jedi can have for good. Not by hacking people down, but by, just like Rose said, defending the vulnerable. Casting down the mighty from their thrones, as the Magnificat says have a little respect because to completely abdicate all place in the galaxy is actually not to show respect for the Jedi power. And I don't mean, and there's this interesting difference between demanding other people respect your power and you having respect for the possibilities of what it can do for good. Which we then see her actually Rey actually take up and do, as it was just talking about how she ha- she still has Vader's wayfinder, you know, Anakin's wayfinder, if you want to put it that way. Finds Exegol, confronts Darth Sidious, as all the Jedi turns Darth Sidious' evil against himself. And defends and shines this ray of light back into the galaxy. Of course, she, again, of course, she buries those lightsabers. Just as, it's it's near where Shmi was buried, it's near where Baru carries the infant Luke Skywalker and looks towards the twin suns. The Star Wars saga, the Skywalker saga, is a threefold cycle. It is has three beginnings, middles, and ends. Of course, each film has nine it has nine beginnings, middles, and ends, but it has three beginnings, middles, and ends. We, of course, come back around to the beginning. And again, at first it was hard for me to see what, you know, how The Rise of Skywalker is actually bringing the cycle to a close and bringing it back to a place of rest at the beginning. But what we see at the end of The Rise of Skywalker is actually one of the things, maybe the thing, that George Lucas was trying to say. The... the 12, 13 year old kids you have a choice you can you're going to have influence you're going to have power and sway with people sometimes authority over them institutionally or otherwise you can use that authority to take them down or you can use that as responsibility to lift them up and in the end Rey restores the galaxy to balance is able to use what she take what she's received, pass it on and lift others up so I'm now able to appreciate the rise of Skywalker even now 45 minutes later, reflecting on it some more Hopefully, as I continue to watch it, as you continue to watch it, hopefully you can re- appreciate it more deeply too. If you have thoughts, if you have feelings, opinions, please let me know on Twitter at neug485. Give me a follow on Instagram at M E U 1138 You can check out my writing at exastrisapientia.blogspot.com. And uh, yeah, go and enjoy this film for what it is, which is actually a deeper meditation on the good of power for others that George was initially getting at in the first place. This has been episode 51 of For Christ's Achanican. Thanks for listening. May the force be with you always.